Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the artist formerly known as Benny the Botanist himself. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? We're live. Talk hard. <laughs> Talk hard. You saw Pump Up the Volume. I did see Pump Up the Volume, oh, and I got so a million questions. Excited a that million you saw questions. that movie. It raised me. It raised me and a generation of people. Yeah. And arguably the first podcast ever made. Might That's been- true. Happy Harry hard on. So like the interesting thing about it was, is I'm going through and I caught this for a split second on this thing. Do you know yeah. the Nick Kroll show big mouth? You know of it. Yeah. For like a split second in, in the bathroom, in the background in this movie, he has like the drawing of what became like the big mouth character. And it said big mouth underneath it. And I'm just uh... like Nick Kroll, big pump up the volume fan. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you saw it because it's it's gotten it's. If anyone listening doesn't know, this is a uh, what 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 year is Pump? 1990. It, Christian Slater yeah. is a pirate DJ in a small Arizona town. That's it. That's it. And for someone like me, you know, I see this movie at a certain age, and as much as everybody my age likes to say that they like, I was like nine listening to Black Flag. You know, they're all full of shit. And we still had awkward years where we didn't know exactly what to listen to. And at the same time, I'm listening to like Poison and Warren and Skid Row and Guns N' Roses and I'm Metallica and I'm, you know, getting into heavy music, but I don't know about cool music yet. And I get turned on to a movie like Pump Up the Volume. And I'm hearing The Descendants for yeah. the first time who wind up being my favorite band, essentially, you know, and it was because of this movie. I'm like, what is this? I like food. Like, what a bizarre <laughs> song. Like, what is this? And then uh, it kind of kickstarted my love affair with Leonard Cohen, who, if you asked like certain punk rockers back in the day, they'd tell you, oh, well, Leonard Cohen. But I was like, yo, it's in Pop Up the Volume. He likes it. We got unreleased Beastie Boys songs. Yeah. And then just like kind of tackles some really heavy, heady shit that, you know, like, gets done in a way that you maybe wouldn't be able to do in a in a movie today the way they did it might might be Pete Christian Slater he was great you know yeah. like um and then literally the band i used to tour with was called Nora based on the character Nora in the movie right in the sexy red letters so if anyone hasn't seen it go see pump up the volume yeah. fucking denny finally got wise so I what's know. your overall summation of the film did you feel pumped like ready to fight the power after you know it's it, it, it's so funny because when this comes out you know there's no internet there's no twitter they're like get out there and use your voice we can be powerful and then now we've seen what happens when it happens and we're like oh maybe not such the best idea for everybody yeah to have an amplified voice like that well you know but then you, you see in this movie if you don't give it to them they find a different yeah. way they start blowing up their kitchens you know <laughs> put shit in the microwave so <laughs> good oh my goodness yeah oh my you know i feel like there's a lot of people that identified with the girl who's like yo you thought her life was perfect and then she puts everything she owns including right. the yale flag in in the microwave That's right it touched oh. all those bases all those suburban late 80s angst bases very well everybody would, get uh, into it what would your pirate radio name be you know christian slater was hard on harry and the thing what would yours be oh i don't know dj hotbox Ooh, TJ Hotbox is good. I got <laughs> a good one for right now. Yeah. Uh, Trot Nixon. Trot N I X 
I already taken. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Not the baseball player. Trots okay. are Knicks. Okay. Yeah. All, All right. right. I had like to get it. that in there. I like it. I like it. Oh, Benny, you know what segment we love each and every week? Mm, no. It's this day music history. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. What do you got? You know, I might have done this last year, the year before. I don't even care. <laughs> this day in 1982, while performing at the Veterans Memorial Auditorium in Des Moines, Iowa, the King of Darkness himself, Ozzy Osbourne, bites the head oh. that. Now, after uh, infamous, excuse me, infamously biting the heads of two live doves during meetings with record executives one year prior, he already had a reputation as a nibbler of things. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in this case, people were throwing things on stage because, you know, he turned into a, a bird eater. And in this particular case, I guess he assumed it was a plastic bat and bit the head off a real bat. Now, did you know there's controversy? Oh, do tell. Ozzy Osbourne bites the animal's head clean off. And he rushed to the hospital for rabies shots as he was not anticipating it being a live bat. Now, Ozzy insists the bat was not only alive, but it also bit him. So apparently it was it was active and angry and bit Ozzy Osbourne, according to him. Now, Rolling Stone reported on it years later. However, uh, Mark Neal tells the Des Moines Register that he was 17 years old. He was the one who threw the bat onto stage. And according to him, the animal was quite dead when he did close to rancid, in fact. So I don't know. This is turning into like kind of the uh, did they peg, you know, ice balls at Santa who killed JFK was the bat alive in Des Moines, Iowa. We'll never know. I love that. And I love that. We'll never know. It kind of adds to the lore of it. Oh, yeah. So I hope what's the Zabru? I hope somebody has the Zabruder film for like this. And we start <laughs> we start piece picking it apart. Uh, put an Alamo and somebody's got a, a stand set up with Ozzy Osbourne controversy. What's his name? Oliver Stone's gonna make a three hour yeah, movie about that's the next one. That's <laughs> the next wait. one. All right, Benny. Well, I'm gonna keep it food related for this day in, in music history. Go How about on, this? On this on. day in 1997, Ben and Jerry's introduced. Fish food, a new flavor of ice cream named after rock group Fish. The ingredients include chocolate ice cream, marshmallows, caramel, and fish. Oh my gosh, fish shaped fudge got there. Yeah. Benny, what would your ice cream be for you individually and then kind of in all of the bands that you've been in? What would the ice cream be? Oh man, that's a tough. I wish you gave me some advance on this. That takes a lot of thought. But, you know, I got to say, fish food always skipped me because I'm just not a marshmallow guy. Yeah. So, you know, uh, fish food was never my favorite. I'm a big fan of uh, Chubby Hubby, Mm. chocolate covered peanut butter filled pretzels. But, you know, if you're putting me on the spot like this, it's essentially some some you know deep fat boy mixture of of chocolates and peanut butters yeah and uh yeah mostly that i guess fudge 
chocolate and peanut butter some combination of those things yeah no mine's definitely you gotta go the vanilla and peanut butter route and then i'm, I'm just good they already have a flavor like that so maybe one day we can get that co-op yeah that's what i'm saying ben and jerry it's turning into like the x games you know where like there's only so many combinations you can do and then it just starts to get a little crazy after time you know there is a there is some uh something to be said for the purity of certain ice creams yeah. i might who knows maybe i'm ice cream maybe i'm a racist for ice cream it's the one thing i'm racist about ice cream just yeah boom. don't mix i discriminate <laughs> <laughs> all right all right well we're gonna transfer from that to peace and love and the valley and uh you know everything good with that Benny, there's there's have... there's soft there's a uh, soft serve swirl fans going crazy right now. I know. They're like, oh man, Neil is throwing a cone at the computer right now. <laughs> All right, Benny. Well, we have some sad news to report. Um, singer songwriter and guitarist David Crosby, founding member of uh, two of the most popular bands of the 1960s, The Birds and Crosby, Still and Nash, has passed away at the age of 81. Uh, a death. A cause of death is not known yet. Um, and just a remarkable influence on the world of music. Obviously, there's that whole uh, Laurel Canyon vibe and, and that entire scene that really shaped it, shaped popular culture and the sound of everything going forward uh, from that time on. Uh, you know, just reading through the obituaries and stuff like that. And it's been cool to see all of his uh, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash brothers uh, responding to it, though it's kind of awkward the way that they've been like, uh, bringing up the the historic feud while eulogizing him, uh, saying it was never as bad as people thought it was. But uh, just some just some fun facts here. Uh, his dad was a cinematographer in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and won an Oscar uh, for the 1931 feature Taboo. Uh, he was raised in L.A. in Santa Barbara, uh, but he never just like all great rock uh, musicians never really found success in school and all of that stuff. But uh, we'll get it in into you know a lot of the other specifics about what he's done and stuff like that. But just overall, uh, the memory of Crosby, David Crosby. Yeah, I mean, I like to keep the music above the drama. You know, so very simply, I mean, if you're just looking at the chronology of like American rock music and who influenced who and what came out of what, uh, very, very, very early in the roots of that tree are going to be the birds yeah, and are going to be some version of, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash and Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young and, you know, all the stuff they were doing uh, at that time. And as you said, with the Laurel Canyon thing, take away everything else these people were doing and how they were treating each other. If you go ahead and look at these records, um, they were some of the most influential albums that that shaped the direction of rock and roll for decades and decades to come. And and are still to to us to a large degree. So in that uh, regard, you can't take away anything from David Crosby's musical career uh, in in any sense. Is a long, rich life, as you said, L.A. royalty. You know, like before he was even born. Um, story after story after story. I mean, even 
just strange stuff with David Crosby, you know, even not the drama, just like, oh, I paid for like Phil Collins to get a kidney in 1994 or, oh, I gave Melissa Etheridge semen for two children, you know, and like, and those are my children. And, you know, it's just like, what a funky, a funky ride, um, you know, and I think you could get into the stories about how he was and the politics later in life. I don't really care for that. I'm just going to go ahead and listen to the birds and Crosby, Stills and Nash and, and dig on dig on the music and, and try to not fudge the whole thing, honestly. Yeah. You know, it's a awesome story. And, you know, sure, they dictated the music side of thing, but I feel like they were a uh he, he was very influential in like band dynamics and stuff like that. So he's with the birds. He gets fired with the birds because at Monterey pop, he's sitting in with Buffalo Springfield. Right. Well, not, not fully because, and then he goes up and, uh, they, they formed the super group of, uh, Crosby stills and Nash young comes in later and stuff like that. And then they have all of their dysfunction and stuff like that. But has any album had, greater just background player than his solo debut in 1971 if i could only remember my name he had a backing from nash young Joni mitchells members of jefferson airplane the grateful dead and santana i mean come on come on i mean it's basically an all-star an all-star record yeah yeah it's a it's a wild uh wild lineage that's gonna spin off for a long time and you know i think too as history goes on like as we watch 80s movies through a certain lens and as we view certain things through a certain lens and people's behavior as we go through history, like something that's becoming apparent of some of the really early 60s rock stuff is these people were raised by by the times of the 30s and 40s. And as you said, David Crosby comes from, you know, like, you know, uh, L.A., you know, Illuminati elite and. You know, there was just like the male chauvinism, the ego, the um, one upsmanship that was going on in that time is very akin to what I think like the same white people in power were doing in corporate America at the same time. And and they fell victim to it as much as they wanted to be hippies and progressive. Being a hippie and a progressive at that time was still coming out of like the 1940s and it wasn't quite there yet, you know. Um, so it's, it's as time goes on and we look at people like this, I think we are going to have to like keep abstracting our lens on how we want to see it, you know? Yeah. What's even sadder than that is I think the fact that we're, you know, we're just losing a era of people, but a era of people that are, uh, have had a big impact on not just like what entertainment is in the 21st, 20th century, but you know, just like, like the sound and just a, it, you know, cause they represent something to a lot of people that I think is going to stand, you know, for a long time. If you look at great eras of music, you know, you look back to, you know, like classical and like Mozart and like stuff like that in a way for a lot of people, the sixties was kind of, uh the a, a revolution or a renaissance on a part two so we're losing that era up through the 70s you know like like your tom petties and stuff like that so uh just sat all around we gotta cherish these people while they're still here i agree i agree all right well we're just gonna keep the hits coming uh because since we last potted uh we lost a, another giant uh jeff beck passed away uh the celebrated guitarist who played with the yardbirds and led the jeff beck group uh he died on january 10th at age 78 
Uh, Benny, kind of the same thing here. How, how, how would you remember Jeff Beck? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, I hate to like AB these guys just because they happen to die around the same time. But he was part of a very separate musical movement. But the the very, very, very early part of it that was was wildly and massively influential. I mean, this crew of people who came out of the Yardbirds, you know, and that that era at the time, I mean, we're talking about Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. Uh, and you can all like, you know, know what those people separately went on to do musically. And this is like the core of it was these people meeting playing guitar together, becoming obsessed with American black blues, essentially stealing it and doing their own version and turning it into this and making it, you know, accessible to, to the masses and stuff like that. And the Yardbirds are one of the bigger examples of that. But then Jeff Beck's career went quite a different way because as David Crosby, I think, you know, um, led a life of songwriting essentially, you know, where you're just always trying to craft these like perfect songs. Jeff Beck, I think turned into more of like a guitar virtuoso, you know? Um, and if you hear stories about him, he might've been destined for that. You know, some people aren't, don't do so well in a band, you know, <laughs> some people don't have that kind of makeup and don't play nice and, and have too certain of an idea of what they want to do to be able to do it. And, you know, from, the 70s on Jeff Beck just went ahead and like was making his records with his people the way he wanted to do it. And for the most part, like shied away from the limelight and didn't really, you know, play that part of part of the game. And and uh, and and I think musically, um, as far as like the physical um, playing of the instrument, the speed, the technique, the different ways to incorporate different sounds and things like Jeff Beck is, is up there, you know, among the all time greats of rock guitarists. And, and it's pretty undeniable. Um, and you know, he did so much fun stuff too. Like even the other night sitting around watching the movie twins, you know, and, and wait, we're like, who's playing in this bar scene where Arnold's about to like beat up four people. And if it isn't Jeff Beck, you know, playing with a, a singer, Nicolette Larson. And then, uh, you know, he played the um, the main solo on Blaze of Glory for Bon Jovi, you know, uh, becoming the Young Guns 2 thing, you know, Days of Thunder, like all this weird stuff. Jeff Beck just always like popped up on people's tracks. He was on Kelly Clarkson tracks. He was on B.B. King, you know, like Morrissey, just years later, like always popping up on stuff. Sadly, popping up with Johnny Depp towards the end. But, you know, we won't hold that against him. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, another one. I mean, th these are two. As far as the thing I do, you know, like playing rock music and being in a rock band, these are as two, two of the biggest icons there are, you know. One of my favorite things when doing all, all of this uh, Jeff Beck research is that he had his hands insured for uh, close to eight million dollars. And his thumbs. So his his fingers and thumbs were famously insured oh, for that don't much. Don't forget the whammy, boss. That's right. You're right. You yeah. got to keep that. Um, would you, how, do you know anybody that's ever done that? Not personally, yeah. no, but I've heard about a lot of people who do it. And and whatever, fuck it, smart, you know? Yeah. Like, 
like imagine the amount of money like Bruce Springsteen loses if he breaks his wrist and has to rehab for a year and a half. Like, you know, the kind of shit people insure out there, like, sure, it's fair. Yeah. I tried to insure one thing one time, which was my favorite drum set. Mm. And they told me since it leaves the house, it's not allowed to be insured. Oh, wow. And it was certainly not going to stay in the house. So I guess that's what they told Chet Holmgren, too. I guess that's why he couldn't get insured before. Stop uh, it. I know, I'm sorry. Too Stop soon. Stop it. Soon. No, Ch- <laughs> no Chet smoke. Come on. No, but super interesting to, to kind of see, uh, you know, these like young athletes kind of go like that same way of like, you can insure anything, I guess, as long as you're willing to pay or somebody's willing to pay for you. So super interesting. I think so. Um, yeah, but just last notes here, Jeff Beck, uh, eight time Grammy winner, as we said, uh, in the rock and roll hall of fame, both as a solo artist and as a member of the Yardbirds. So just an incredible legacy. And both of these guys will be missed. You know, you're losing fundamental knowledge of rock and roll with these guys leaving the planet. Yeah. hundred percent. These are people I, I both, both with both of these, I wish I could have called my mom to chat about it, you know, yeah. would have given me tons of info. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah, those are those are always hard when like people pass and, and, and someone that has like left your life was also deeply inspired and you're like, oh, I wish I could make that call. But yeah, yeah, I definitely I wish I paid attention more to how many long, long diatribes I heard about Jeff Beck. Oh, <laughs> oh well, big ups all around. All right, Benny. Well, we have something to celebrate. And it's Madonna's The Celebration Tour. On on Monday, Madonna announced dates for our celebration tour, which according to her website will, quote, will take us on Madonna's artistic journey through four decades and pays respect to the city of New York where her music career began. I'm excited about this. Um, I'm sure you're even more excited about this. Uh, Tickets go on sale apparently today, and uh, the tour will go to 35 cities globally and kick off July 15th at Rogers Arena in Vancouver um and go to europe later in the year so benny madonna back doing it big how excited are you yeah it's great i i mean i don't know what to add besides for the fact that i'm sure her her arms are gonna look crazy and awesome she's gonna be dancing and playing guitar and singing and piano and i can't imagine what the stage is like and the costuming like it's going to be a fucking show. It's Madonna. It's a celebration tour. I mean, even look at the, you know, the, the adverts for it look like, look like you're going to see a Broadway play, you know? So I, I think that she's going to live up to the hype and, uh, yeah, it's great. Love to see it. What does Madonna paying tribute to New York city look like? Like, and, 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 and what version of New York city? Like, like, is it going to be like, like the lower East side scene? that she's gonna do like i'm like is she I mean, gonna yeah, yeah i mean that's where she came up you know maybe yeah. she's going as a kid in queens you know maybe she's <laughs> yeah who knows i mean maybe it's a testament to the music you know that she was into and you know doing covers or paying homage yeah. to stuff that way yeah yeah i'm not sure but it's a fair question i mean what is the new york that madonna yeah. knows now like it's a very different new york than the one she was a part of that's for sure That'll be so telling for the movie, too. And maybe that's why she's doing it. She's like, I've got these sets. I can just put them, take them when we're not using them. I've already paid for them. Yeah. Put yeah, them on stage. Them <laughs> you know how much does paper mache building cost? <laughs> it's all on Paramount's dime or whoever yeah, the heck yeah, is financing it. But uh, yeah, Madonna back at it, doing it. Love to see it. Like we said, you know, we got to 
as much as in the past I've uh, almost disrespected the Queen on I this know, podcast, I know. Uh, you got to pay respect to the legends while they're still with us. So uh, I'd go. The only question I had for you, seeing this, these are all arena stops. I would have thought that in New York, she probably still could have sold out MetLife. Yeah, but I mean that you know that also depends on the show, man. Like yeah. you know, um, an arena show is built to be inside. And it's built to be in an arena, you know, um, with lighting and stuff like that. So, you know, it could just be some playing a stadium is pain in the ass, you know. She wants to. What are you going to do? Go play yeah. MetLife? She's from New York. She <laughs> yeah. wants to go play the Garden, you know. She's going to play the Swamp. Yeah, yeah. I doubt that. So. She's not taking the bus to Sea Caucus. <laughs> She's going to get stuck at the at, at the train station. Yeah, for no, no chance. No chance. <laughs> All right. Well, Benny, next headline today, we have a movie in the works. Benny, Lionsgate, the film studio, is about to be starting something as the studio has tapped Antoine Farquhar, uh, the director of Emancipation, to direct the Michael Jackson biopic, uh, which immediately becomes the single most music and uh, music biopic in the works right now. Um, it's currently, uh, you know, there's currently Paramount has a Bee Gees movie in the works. Uh, there's a Bob Dylan in the works starring Timothy Chalamet, but the Michael movie goes right to the top. Uh, it'll be titled Michael. Uh, the film is a longtime passion project by Graham King, who's a, who was a producer on Bohemian Rhapsody and screenwriter, uh, John Logan, who's won three Oscars, uh, and previously worked on the King. Uh, he wrote the aviator and Steven Spielberg's Hugo. Uh, so a lot of heavy hitters in this, uh, they're working closely with the Jackson estate. Um, which, you know, say, say what you will about that, but, uh, a lot going on here. Uh, do you think, and we texted about this a bit. Do you think that for as much as this movie says it wants to try, uh, go toward the controversy, um, in that, do you think that we're going to see the version of this that is real about Michael Jackson? Well, I mean, what's real about Michael Jackson? You know, and that's what's what's going to come up in this movie and it's never going to not be talked about. And I feel like we're too close to it all to still do it correctly. And of course, if the estate is giving the green light on it and they're going to be part of it, and I assume they would have the power to pull the plug on it. Uh, no, they're not going to cover it the way like what are they going to do? Deep depth interviews with all the accusers and no, like, no, I don't think it's going to get I think they'll find a very artistic and tasteful way to gloss over it and kind of maybe play on the fact that he was very juvenile in some ways. And, and kind of, I'd assume they would whitewash it. The thing about this, too, is like, and I think we mentioned this on text, it's such a like untackable thing in so many different ways that like um, it's so difficult to see this a getting done and it getting done correctly that I'm like. So much about it, I just don't want and I'm not ready for. Yeah. So for me, I'm a, I'm a hard no still on the Michael Jackson movie, especially if it's done in the way these other ones are. I mean, it's like, you know, how, how like we're even talking about the Bohemian Rhapsody movie and how we sort of, you know, glossed over like a huge part of that, you know, life as a result. And like, you know, Michael Jackson had this this awful upbringing. You're really going to to show like are we going to show his dad beat the shit out of all of them no are we going to show this are we gonna show i just like so I, it's too ugly it's too soon i'm still like 
getting even comfortable with like listening to Michael Jackson music again. You know, I'm not ready for it yet. Yeah. Oh man. And you know, we saw they do the Jackson's American uh, story movie. I think what that was like 20 years ago that that's always running on MTV and, and stuff like that to see the full story. You can't, See, it's so hard because then to tell the whole story, you're going to have to do the Elvis thing. And it just is like you're watching his life on on like double speed. And that's a hard thing. I was thinking uh, about this, too, because, you know, they always talk about a Frank Sinatra biopic. These legends like this had too much life for two hours. Like you're in my life. Well, you're like you probably can't. But like most people's life, it's like, OK, 90 minute cut. Cool. Most people that have these giant lives, you need like a four hour movie. You need like a Babylon of like right. for Michael Jackson. And how, how, sh- you know, no offense to Anton Fuqua. Yeah. But how sure are we this guy's good? Well, you know, he ju- he we did, did training day, right? He just did Emancipation with Will Smith. I mean, that's I'm supposed look- to be up for Oscars. Right. I haven't seen that one yet, so I'm Me not neither. willing to do it. Yeah. But, but he's directing this, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of movies on this list that I'm not thrilled about. And even Training Day is like a questionable movie seems yeah. by a uh, by a massive Denzel performance, you know? Yeah. So that's another thing to me. Like, I mean, I think there's no chance you should have a white person tell this story. Yeah, that would just be like massively distasteful. But I also don't know if. Anton Fuqua is the guy to do it. What about as a mini series? We're seeing this in in, in the yeah. chat. A mini series for Michael. Let's break it up. I'd yeah. probably be more into that. Yeah. Who wants Make to it like a mayor of Easttown? I mean, tell this whole story. We're gonna need like four and a half hours. I don't yeah. know kind of yeah. time. I'm okay, cool. All right. Well, we're gonna see it. The I was shocked to hear about also in, in the same vein since we're there, this Bob Dylan movie with Timothy Chalmain. As Bob Dylan, get the heck out of here. And then and then I, I texted you this. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch reportedly, or they're eyeing Be- Benedict Cumberbatch to play Pete Seeger and like cut the cut the cord at Newport 1965. Just crazy, crazy stuff happening with all this. Hey, you know, people want to make it. Yeah. You're going to see it like that's the thing. I don't know. They're going to get made. You can't stop yeah. them. So it's just uh, it's, they're going to keep coming. I hope people go. People did not show up for the Whitney Houston one, and that's no, disrespectful, no. but uh, I hope people show up. So, All right, Benny, do I move on to basketball here? Please. Uh, let's get out of this and get into a uh, – uh, do I start with the Miami Heat here? Great team. All right, so it wasn't always pretty, but the Heat finished with a 3-1 and week uh, with wins over the Suns, Thunder, the Giannis Bucks, Bucks, um, Jimmy Butler's go-ahead three – uh, point play with 12.9 seconds to go against the Thunder was like a almost a big turning point for their season. Um, big week for the Heat. They're back up uh, above 500, 25 and 21. Um, things are pointing in the positive direction. Trade talk is still on the table. Um, got a, a two part here for you. Can yeah. the Heat turn this into a playoff run? And do you think we will see Kyle Lowry be a part of said playoff run? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as I am encouraged by this, it's also like, you know, what you would expect going into this season for the Heat, right? Like, this is actually the first time they're playing to expectation, not above expectation. This team has Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry on it. 
They're supposed to be a playoff team. They're built like a playoff team. They paid for a playoff team. So I think what we're seeing in the last couple weeks and making a nice run and having some nice wins is what Miami should have been doing the whole time. Um, Lowry still doesn't look good. He's in and out. Um, and this depth is, is certainly questionable as you get into it. So I'm, you know, I'm encouraged by what I see in Miami, but I think, you know, the way the season's flushing out. Sure. If you have a healthy Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo on your team, you're going to be a 500 team and get through most of the stuff and have a couple good wins, but I'm still not seeing the makeup of this team, uh, cracking, you know, one of the better teams in the East or certainly the West. So I think they are in a, uh, in trade land. If you actually want to make something else happen, I'm just kind of unsure where that would be. <laughs> Do they go back to the well and, and try to, uh, you know, go up with Toronto and try to make a, a deal there. Maybe Larry goes back and I mean, Masai seems to be wanting to make moves. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to see because I don't think they have the, like, you know, you're, they're looking for assets, real yeah. assets to, to get a guy like OG. I mean, then there's no word that he's even on the market yet. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just looking at a lot, you know, once you get past this, this big three of Butler and Bam and, and Tyler hero scoring, you know, you're quickly down to Gabe Vincent and Max Struess and, uh, you know, Orlando Robinson gets heavy minutes. And, like, you know, it's just an unsustainable model um, as far as going into the playoffs goes. So, I'm, you know, it's it's encouraging to see and it's nice to see. And I know you're enjoying Bam's fantasy couple weeks he's having. But um, I'm not seeing where this is still going in the long term. And Max Struess's fantasy value. Hey, I'll make you a trade right now. Guy, guy's been going for double doubles. I'm He's good. <laughs> good on Struess. Oh, so is everybody else. All right. Well, from one team that's kind of balanced the ship to a team that is in an interesting position, the New York Knicks. And we're going to transition to New York here for a sec. The Knicks are on a two-game slide during what should be a soft spot in their schedule uh, going up against the Wizards and the Raptors, though though the Wizards have looked pretty good and the Raptors have played everybody tough. Uh, Jalen Brunson kept up his scoring frenzy going for uh, 34, almost 35 points a game, five five assists a game, Uh, shooting split of 51-50-92, um, that, that that's crazy. 51 from the field, 50 from three, 92 from the line. Uh, but let's, let's start here with the Knicks. Uh, should Jalen Brunson be an all-star? You know, he, you could certainly make a case for him, especially where the Knicks are playing, but I think he's just locked behind maybe too many guys yeah. at the guard spot for now and might East. have to wait a year or something. But, um, you know, at the very least bare minimum, this made the Nick fan be able to put away the Donovan Mitchell narrative for a year or two and put away the narrative that you overpaid uh, or anything like that. Now it looks like a good deal, doesn't it? You know, like, like we were saying, I said it in the off season, a couple people said it too. Like this was a good deal for a starting point guard in the NBA. And you, the Knicks needed someone to write the ship, play consistent minutes and be about, you know, one of the more consistent players you can be. And that's exactly what he's doing. So, you know, cheers to Jalen Brunson for that. But, you know, Knicks are still obviously piece, two pieces, three pieces away. They just lost 
Mitchell Robinson for a few weeks. You know, the, uh, you know, like you said, the Raptors, Wizards, Pacers, Hawks, especially, you know, are starting to to creep up and make, you know, make some waves there. So, you know, Nick's Nick's still got to stay sharp. I'm just curious what the best case scenario of this looks like, because I wonder if you are a an impending free agent, are you forcing your way to New York to try to play with J- Jalen Brunson? I'm not so sure. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But, you know, you're also, you know, as much as we like to make fun of the Knicks for always positioning so- themselves, you know, for big free agents, they are still one of the markets who can get it. And when you look at a team with a guy like Jalen Brunson on a good deal, um, you know, in, in New York. Yeah, sure. It's still a likable place to go. Uh, but no, I don't think people are salivating <laughs> on getting over there to, to, to crank 40 minutes of Julius Randall either, you know? Right. And I, I, I just think seeing what Donovan Mitchell has done in, in Cleveland th- this year, could you imagine how Tibbs would have put a leash on Donovan Mitchell exactly. so hard? Yeah. Quite a different scenario. It's just not what they, it's not what that team needed, you know? I mean, it is what, the, of course, it's what every team yeah. needs. But they, they for this year, they needed Jalen Brunson. I'm not saying the Knicks made a good deal, particularly by passing on Donovan yeah. Mitchell, because you know it's easy to get rid of if you have a star player as a coach yeah. <laughs> who will let Donovan Mitchell go, yeah. you know, go to work. Sure. So that's certainly no reason to stop getting Donovan Mitchell is the fact that you have Tibbs there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at, like I said, at the, at the very least, um, you know, imagine if Jalen Brunson got hurt. Imagine if he was uh, losing starting minutes to quickly, like, or anything yeah. like that at this point, the Knicks would be getting destroyed. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, you know, you have a good, solid top 10, 15 NBA point guard on your team for the next four years under a pretty good yeah. contract. So way to go there, you know? Yeah. All right, Benny, do you want to go across the East River to Brooklyn? Do you want to talk Might about well. your Nets? All Might right. as well. All right, so the Nets are 5-5 five and five in the last 10 with wins over the Pelicans and the Heat plus a loss to the Celtics um, in the first full game since the KD MCL injury. That's expected to sideline him for about a month. Uh, without KD against Boston, Ben Simmons became one of three players to put up at least 13 assists and nine rebounds in a game without scoring a point. Kind of need more there. Um, but then what does he do against the Suns to follow this up? He talks his way into two technicals and an early exit um, in the third quarter. Um, but TJ Warren has been a bright spot, a- averaging 15 points per game this week. So uh, kind of a mixed bag here. Obviously, you, you never want to lose the guy that makes you go. But uh, this week for the Nets, y- your thoughts? This week is the, the 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 clear case for Kevin Durant as MVP of the league. And the clear, you know, case that like the things that you're worried about with the Nets are getting so horribly exposed, which is Kyrie Irving is a number one, Ben Simmons having to do too much, and a mishmash of older players having to take on too many minutes. Like even, you know, a guy like Seth Curry plays really nice last night, but he played like 35 minutes. I don't think Jacques Vaughn can play Seth Curry 35 minutes again. So we have like these weird restrictions all over the lineup with that. And without KD, you know, everybody essentially except Nick Claxton is getting really exposed out there. Um, And, you know, they've lost their last four. They've slipped to, you know, tied for for fourth and fifth with Cleveland. And, you know, as you said before, only, you know, 
three games behind them are both the Heat and the Knicks. Uh, four games behind that is the Hawks. I think all of those teams are kind of, you know, trending up and and ready to give, you know, anybody who starts slipping in the top of the East a hard time and making you go into the play-in game. So here's something like I do think the Nets have the kind of roster to survive, but I, I'm pretty worried about this Ben Simmons thing at this point. Here's something I'm looking into the stats and I'm a little I'm really concerned about. OK, so we're in the month of December, right? Mm-hmm. And Simmons right. plays. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. OK, here we go. Yeah, we're in the month of December. Ben Simmons plays 11 games. He averages 25 minutes a game. That's a lot of minutes, yeah. right? What was his free throws for that month? The entire month. I don't know how many. Oh, for nine. Oh, Jesus. Nine attempts, zero. This is 11 games averaging 25 minutes. Now let's jump to January where one, two, three, seven games into January. He's averaging 27 minutes a game. And in this month, we are four of nine from the free throw line. So that means he's literally four of 18 in the last two months. That's over you know, 30 games. And I'm watching this game last night against Phoenix. I mean, we have guys like DeAndre Ayton. They're literally, you know, Ben Simmons is is on the line. He's in the paint. They're giving it to him. It's right there. And when the guy who has the ball in his hands that much, if, you know, I know we, we, everybody's talked about it for years, talked about it coming out of Philly. And have sort of glossed over it over the course of this year, which is something you get the ability to do when Kevin Durant is playing every night. Um, now that he's not, you know, there's just this like microscope on the things that Ben Simmons can't do. And it's pretty terrifying because of a the contract and the years and the expectation Um And sometimes you go out there and you're like, man, once you take this guy out of that sort of funny, I'm like Ben Wallace who can dribble role, which is fun and it's good and it works. But once you need more out of him, man, it's a fucking disaster. Uh, And 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 I don't see it, you know, going in the right direction. I mean, he doesn't even shoot jump shots and he shot 45 percent from the field last last month, you know, so that that's a big concern. And Kyrie getting this many minutes with this much pressure, you know, we kind of all know where that's going to go, which is, you know, I'm going to get 25 something points a night on very high usage, low efficiency, and we're not going to win a lot of games. Um, So I think, uh, I think the Nets are in trouble without Kevin Durant. I got to be honest. Here's what I, I don't get about the Ben Simmons thing. His game when he was first coming up in like high school and LSU was very focused on driving, getting contact, getting fouled, going to the line, getting his 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 numbers that way while doing the other stuff that he has done well here, right? Yeah. Well, once he got to the NBA, I just don't understand. Is it like a confidence issue? Is it is it his back thing that always uh, makes him shy away from contact in the NBA. You need to eat at the line. He's just not doing it. Yeah. I mean, you're asking the same questions people have been yeah. asking for years. The same one is like, why didn't you dunk the fucking ball? <laughs> you know? And I think, you know, there is a point with the shooting where you got to get to a point where it's just like, is this Chuck Knobloch throwing to second? <laughs> yeah. Is this Markel Fultz a couple years ago? You know, like, is there just something weird going on? 
you know, and like, and, and once you just get the ball in your hands and that like, the, I don't know. I don't know. I I'm not here to psychoanalyze Ben, yeah, right. Ben Simmons. All I'm here to do is look at the fact that this guy, uh, can't like, can't put a ball into the hoop. Yeah. And which is you have the whole deal, which is the whole <laughs> yeah. deal, you know? So like, unless, like I said, it works when Kevin Durant's out there and you can put him in this kind of glorified, like I said, Ben Wallace, Dennis Rodman role of somebody who can just like, you know, help you drill. Even Jason Kidd was that kind of player for a long time. Like Jason Kidd was not a threat for a long time from shooting. He eventually, as he got older, had to manage to, learn a perimeter shot to stay, you know, to stay in the league essentially. But, um, it is possible to exist, but Ben Simmons is just not finding the way to exist yet. Maybe he needs to end up in Dallas with Jason Kidd to learn how to do these things. I don't know. (laughs) Sounds great. Uh, do you want to get optimistic here and happy and talk about the brooding love affair that that we're having right now on the league pass? Please. Shout out to Cody Bradley, the one Oklahoma City Thunder fan I know was just at a game. Oh, man. Bring it on. How is he loving Shea? I mean, he, he's got to be his favorite player like oh, ever, right? On. He's probably got three jerseys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Well, the Thunder, as as we're alluding to, had a big weekend remain an enigma. Uh, a huge 3-1 week for the Thunder that saw their only loss come by a single point to Miami, as we talked about. Um, OKC dropped 133 points and a 19 point road win over the Sixers on Thursday and, and, uh, put up a 120.9 points per hundred possessions, which is crazy. Shea Gilgis Alexander did his thing, averaging uh, 31 points. Um, Josh Giddy adding 17 points, eight assists and 7.5 rebounds per game on um, 38% three-point shooting for him. Uh, OKC, just so fun to watch. Love watching Shea every single night. Uh, Heck, they're even making Lou Dort into a viable fantasy option on your team. Uh, What do you make of of OKC right now? Well, I think the most exciting thing to watch is like, you know, if you were just watching Shea come out, which he is, like you're watching this dude just this year cement the fact that like, oh, hey, I'm one of like the top 10, 15 guys in the league. Did you notice that yet? Um, and I think he's making it pretty apparent and it's becoming so consistent that no one thinks it's a fluke, you know, yeah. like this is real. He's real and he's here and he's good enough already that he's not going to let a team be bad. So I think fundamentally Shay has just changed the whole idea of what is going on there within like two months, right? Like how we went into the season thinking about Oklahoma city and how we're thinking about them now, where it seems absurd to start tanking, you know, (laughs) like that seems nuts. And when you went into the season, we're like, Oh, Chet's gone for the year. You're like, great tank again, put Shea in trash again. And then all of a sudden you have Chet and Wembenyana and blah, blah, blah just not going to happen. But the cool thing about it is watching that core develop. As you said, like Giddy's taking a step. He's a much better shooter and more aggressive than he was last year. Dort's a good player, you know, as long as you don't ask him to do too much on offense. And then there's Jalen Williams, uh, you know, the, 
the wing, the wing player, yeah. Jalen Williams. I don't know how we're supposed to determine these guys. Um, <laughs> I hate when teams do that. Trade one of them, please. Just for, <laughs> so I don't have to do this anymore. But those four, you know, Dort, Williams, Giddy, and Shea looks like, like their core. Yeah. You know, it doesn't just look like a little flash in the pants. They're playing well together. And I don't think anybody wants to see this team. And you start, you know, putting in, uh, you know, Chet next year, Kenrich Williams, uh, you know, Joe and, you know, a bunch of interesting players. And then all the assets and picks that they have coming up. Oklahoma City is like one of the most exciting things in the league. And here's the most interesting thing is like right now in the West, right? Mm-hmm. Between Dallas at five and the Lakers at 13, there's only three and a half games separating those nine teams. Right. Um, so, right. And Oklahoma City's in the middle of that pack. I mean, they're tied right now for that, that seven seed with Minnesota, the Clippers, the Warriors. The Suns are a half game behind. The Jazz are a half game ahead. So, I mean... Literally, we're two games away from Oklahoma City sitting in that six spot. And I'm not seeing a team behind them who's really rushing to take them out, maybe besides for the Warriors. Like most of the teams we're looking at at this list are trending down and not up, and they're going in the opposite direction. So Oklahoma City is super exciting. And I think at this point, you know, they might want to consider, you know, building this team to actually what? Fuck it. Maybe win a playoff series. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be very interested to see how they deal with the Chet thing, because like they're they're an organization built on patience. But if you have maybe the opportunity to go back into the draft this year, trade a guy who people like a lot. I know, you know, maybe Utah is a team that, you know, has assets and, you know, that's the kind of player that Danny Ainge has historically liked. So I don't know if uh, Presti tries to go back in, into the draft and, and give up on uh, on Chet so quickly, but I, I think it'd be a smart move. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I think this is, you know, like, it's easy to get impressed with, you know, 10, 15 game stretches and things like this, but, you know, um, what if Shea goes out with an ankle for a couple weeks? What if, you know, like, like, you're still not there yet. You're not close to there yet. So I think the thing that you do is let the season play out and then add a transformational center next year, you know, like, and do it the right way. Because I think the thing you got to think about with Oklahoma city is like, I mean, I'm listening to a podcast earlier and someone's telling me that Isaiah Joe is one of the top five free agent signings in the history of the Oklahoma city thunder. So, I mean, this is just the, the idea that, like, you're never getting someone to sign there independently yeah. <laughs> unless you draft them or trade for them, right? Yeah. So you are not getting rid of, like, Chet Holmgren, this potential asset that you don't even know what it is yet. You know, like, what if two years from now you're like, oh, great, we traded Dirk Nowitzki yeah. to make, you know, get one playoff run. And so I, I think Presti has shown us uh, – uh, that that is not his model, and I don't think they're going to go that way. I was more saying to try to get another younger player because who knows? Chet may be Embiid, where he like misses two years and becomes an MVP candidate. Like we have no idea. But. Well, I mean, he's never going to be that thick. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know so. if if Chet if Chet shows up next season and he's he's as thick as Embiid. We got to start <laughs> testing that kid. 
<laughs> something weird. I just like like there is a great history of players that look like him not having the longevity and the success that they want. I just I and I've I've stayed true on this. I don't see it. I think he's a great player, but in the NBA, man, it's a different game. I you know what? It's like I've never seen the kid touch a basketball in an NBA game. So yeah, the who knows? Fuck do we know? Yeah, yeah, like that. <laughs> We're just two people on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, before we get out of here, we got to talk about LeBron. Uh, LeBron at, on the shoulders of uh, uh, his, his media thing. And I think we touched about it. Uh, Y'all know what the fuck should be happening here. Headline a few weeks ago that we talked about in regard to the trade deadline. Um, he is now 284 points away from breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's NBA all-time scoring record. Uh, the final piece on a convincing resume for the greatest of all time. I got to ask you this question. Yeah. Do you think with the rate that he's been scoring, because this has been turning back the clock scoring, is he trying to get this done before February 9th and get out of there? Or is he just trying to get this done as fast as possible? I, I've, I've no idea. You know, I like, you know, usually I like to think that LeBron is playing, playing games, doing things intentionally. You know, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. Honestly, right now he is trying to desperately win basketball games. <sighs> he you is. Bought it. You bought Are it. you watching these games? <laughs> I mean, I'm watching literally arguably or inarguably the greatest basketball player ever. Out there balling, yeah, with Dennis Schroeder, yeah. with Wenyan Gabriel, <laughs> with Thomas Bryant, with Kendrick Nunn. There's literally like if you ask the novice NBA fan of another player on that team besides for Russell Westbrook, they can't even tell you anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, you know me. I think LeBron is a magician. Of the media, I think he messes with people's minds. I think he does all sorts of stuff because he's very smart and he's been playing this game since he was like 12. So he knows what he's doing. Right now, man, that guy is in a team that's two games out of the play-in game behind Oklahoma City. (laughs) You know, and I think like he's really desperately trying to tread water until Anthony Davis comes back. And and that takes him shooting a ton and, you know, scoring 30 plus points a game. So as much as I'd like to jump on your nefarious bandwagon here, I think this is one of the more honest things LeBron has done. <laughs> honest? I don't know, man. Maybe he's starting to see that this Hollywood thing isn't all it's cracked up to be. House party had right. rotten. Where's 20- he going? <laughs> all right. February 9th. He breaks the record. Okay. Yeah. Banners hung. He got his title in L.A. Where is he going? Who are they? Who's getting traded to what team and for what? Well, let's see. Have you pulled up any mock drafts of where Bronny is projected to go? Because it's got to be like Wembenyana, Scoot Henderson, Bronny James in that order. Oh, yeah, sure, (laughs) sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think he's staying for now. Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, we also are only like a few weeks removed from Anthony Davis showing us like he's like sometimes the best player on the planet you know so like i think lebron is lebron and there's some idea in his mind he's like if i can keep us afloat and get us into the play and this guy comes back and then all of a sudden you know i'm fucking 72 years old still winning championships i don't know like he's crazy like that we're watching the one thing i think you disregard sometimes and you do it with tom brady too 
is if you want to be LeBron James or Tom Brady, you got to be nuts. You're crazy. You are literally a crazed person as far as winning and competing goes. You know, so like I really don't think like those people touch a court and it turns on and off. I think they're maniacs and they don't they only know one speed. They only know one way. Um, and and I don't think once those people are in that situation, they're, they're even cerebral about it. You know, by the way, as you were saying that I looked up, he's averaging close to 35 a game to 84. So that means roughly eight games to break the record. So they've got. Memphis on uh, on Friday here, so that's yeah. one. Then they go to Portland, Clippers, Spurs, uh, Celtics, Nets, Knicks. Guess what game is is game eight? Hold on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He could potentially do it if he just goes nuts. He could potentially do it Tuesday, January thirty first against the Knicks at where else than Madison Square Garden. That seems pretty. So that's with thirty-five a game. Yeah, would be putting them to the Knicks, and and it would be before the February 9th trade deadline. Win-win for all sides. Yeah, you know, like I'm looking at this schedule here, and this is where you're right about LeBron, because game game seven is Brooklyn, game eight is New York at the Garden, which would obviously be a great place to break the record. Yeah. Game nine is at Pacers. Yeah. Game 10 is at the Smoothie King Center. Yeah, no. And then you got back home again against OKC. So I do think he's probably eyeing that. Like, like he he probably does want to break this in the garden, just, just narrative-wise. And I'm even looking. I mean, the ticket resale on that Knicks game is uh, crazy. Is already – you can't get in the building for less than 175 bucks. So I would love to see a real race against the clock February 9th against the Bucks, He's trying to get like Mr. 3000 style, like two more points before he gets traded. Yeah, I'd yeah. love to see that happen. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great. But, you know, as I've noted many times on the show yeah. here at the tune up, we celebrate greatness. Yeah. I'm greatest. Uh, he is the greatest when he does this. I'm happy to see LeBron do it. And I'm stoked. I'm glad he's got the backing of Kareem should just be a, a joyous thing all around. Uh, pl- plenty of joy all around this podcast today. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune up podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. Uh, follow us on all the social platforms at the tune up HQ. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube. We're coming at you this way and that way. All the good content right in your inbox. It's crazy. Uh, if you want to follow the snare campaign provocateur on Instagram, he is at Benny Horowitz. I'm at Demi Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, Denny, talk hard. Talk hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I should have had what he had off the top of his dome at the end of uh, <laughs> every broadcast where he just signs out. Like, imagine if we just right now, Sopranos faded to black. and That's, that's it. We're not fading to black. I'll be outside of your house in five minutes with a Jeep. <laughs> Ready to Ready go. Around. Ready to oh, rip around. Oh. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been watching and listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>